Good morning and welcome. Please join me in prayer. Guide us, O God, by your word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light and in your truth find freedom and in your will discover peace. Through Christ our Lord, amen. The scripture reading for today for the Old Testament comes from Jonah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and verse 10. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk. And he cried out, 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. Continuing with verse 10, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament reading comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Now after John was arrested... Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in their boat, mending their nets. Immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. Many of us, I think, are marked by special events in our lives, special relationship with special people. I know any time that I read these fishing stories in the Bible, I can't help but think about my Uncle Raleigh. I, I know I've talked about him before. He was my grandfather's older brother. Um, he was a World War I veteran, and with my grandfather, they ran our family farm in northwest Arkansas. Um, that's maybe a bit of an exaggeration because it was actually my grandfather that ran the farm my Uncle Raleigh just generally kind of got in the way, was really my observation of it. So there were three large ponds on the farm that my grandfather kept stocked in fish, and he would send Uncle Raleigh off to fish, which he loved to do. And of course, when I was a wee tot, I was probably in the way as well, and so off I went with Uncle Raleigh to fish. I learned a whole lot on those pond banks. I learned a lot about fishing 
and I learned a lot about life in those lazy afternoons in northwest Arkansas. I learned the excitement of exploring the larger world outside of Washington County, Arkansas, as Uncle Raleigh regaled me of his stories of traipsing through England and France as a World War II soldier. I learned about the Great Depression and the horrors that happened to families such as ours that almost lost their farm. And I learned to fish. Now at this point in his life, Uncle Raleigh wasn't much about eating fish, he was more about catching. I'm not even sure that he liked to eat fish. I don't know that I ever saw him eat one or keep one. We fished with barbless hooks, so once he reeled in a fish, we would release it back into the pond. Some of the larger bass in that pond had names. He had caught them so many times, and he would talk to them when he pulled them out of the water. That type of fishing is called catch and release. As I got older, I also became a catch and release fisherman. And then when I had my own son and he was old enough, I couldn't wait to take him fishing. And we fished in rivers and lakes and oceans all over the place. When we lived in coastal North Carolina, we would fish off the fishing piers and from time to time, we would actually catch something, and I would pull it up, and because I wasn't from that area, I would show one of the local fishermen and ask them first what it was, and second, could I keep it? The answer was usually no, I couldn't. But mostly, we were catch and release. My son grew up and went to college. He went to a small college in Virginia, an all-male college called Hampton Sydney College. And they had an annual fishing trip for fathers and sons every spring break. So Raleigh and I signed up for that trip. It sounded like a lot of fun. The trip would take you to the San Juan River in New Mexico. And for those of you that like to fly fish, the San Juan is one of the best catch and release trout rivers in North America. We signed up for the trip and flew out to New Mexico and through the airports, as we traveled from the East Coast, we met up with other fathers and sons on their journey. Now, I have to admit, at least for me, as a pastor, gatherings of strangers can sometimes be awkward. Many people have misunderstandings about what we do and who we are. I actually kind of enjoy it though sometimes. It usually gives me an opportunity to really engage people in that kind of awkward space and just be who I am and not my title. I found that it usually allows for many spiritual conversations in some really strange and wonderful places in the highways and byways of life. So our group began to gather as we traveled towards New Mexico, and we got to New Mexico. We met the most important per person of our trip, the fishing guide. Now, our fishing guide, his name was Harry. And you just had to take one look at Harry, and it told you about everything you needed to know about him. He had lived a very adventurous life, and five minutes of a conversation with Harry really confirmed that. Harry, for most of his adult life, had led fishing expeditions all over the world. Russia, Asia, the Caribbean, South America, 
and all over the United States. You name it, Harry had been there, and he knew how to catch fish. Harry was what they call a raconteur. He was a teller of tall tales, and he was one heck of a fisherman. Now, Harry was past his time when I met him. He was overweight, and he had not taken very good care of himself physically, but he continued his adventurous lifestyle without really a care in the world. Harry could make a dry fly shoot from his fly rod, which he only held with three fingers, and land about anywhere he wanted it to. He could also spot a bad cast on another person from a hundred yards away, and he would loudly point it out whether that person was in his charge or not. I could tell from the beginning Harry was a bit suspicious of me and my vocation. He never called me by my name. He just called me Padre. He made quips here and there about religious people the first couple of days we were together. And I just smiled and kind of nodded my head and went along my business, sticking to fishing questions and advice from him when I could get it. All the while, he kept a watchful eye on me. I think he was more scared of me than I was actually terrified of him. Catch and release. So towards the end of our week together, Harry invited me to sit with him at dinner one night. It was a coveted spot. Harry had polished off a bottle of wine and was well into his second bottle, and he began to talk. He began to weave his tale of life. He told me about his strict religious upbringing at the hands of very stern parents, something he rebelled against most of his life, how in his opinion religious people had looked down their noses at him and his vagabond lifestyle, a lifestyle that had made him wealthy and a man of means, but yet still not on the same social level of acceptance with his wealthy clients. He asked, why did he need God when he had everything that he needed? So Harry and I talked long into the night. I told him about my life and my calling to ministry, the satisfaction that I felt in helping people discover their calling and their inner strength of faith. I also talked about how doing mission work and helping the least of these was for me more satisfying than all the money in the world. After our conversation that night, Harry stopped the catty remarks about religion, and he sort of warmed up to me as much as Harry, I think, could warm up to anybody. I was never really sure if what I said was helpful to Harry. Catch and release. But that's okay. The power of change is with the risen Christ and not with me. This is a good thing for all of us to remember in our goal-achieving society. It is the life transformed by Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit that changes lives. Many times in the good deeds or the good words that we offer, we will never see those fruits of our labors. For me, that is what Jesus is practicing on the shore of Galilee, a little catch-and-release fishing by asking the disciples to follow him. And of course, they follow. If Jesus walked in the door of this sanctuary, walked into the front door of your house or into your workplace and said, come and follow me, 
I really believe each and every one of us would drop whatever we're doing and follow. But we have an advantage. We have an advantage over the disciples. We know the story. We know who Jesus was. That he, ba- he was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan, and the Holy Spirit appeared, and that Jesus performed miracles and healings, that he raised people from the dead. He himself was crucified and died, and three days later he was raised up. The stone was rolled away, and he gave his life to save a wretch like me. We know all that, and much, much more. What did the disciples know about Jesus at this point? Not much, really. They were aware of a coming Messiah. Most of the disciples were faithful Jews, which means that they would have studied and memorized much of the Old Testament. Some scholars say that there are over 300 references to the Messiah in the Old Testament. Here's just a small sampling of what they might have known about the Messiah. From Zechariah chapter 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout loud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you. Triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a coat, the foal of a donkey. And from from Isaiah, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with a child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us, Authority rests upon his shoulder, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. And from Malachi chapter 3, See, I'm sending my message to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. So they knew the Messiah was coming. But what greeted the disciples on the shores of the Sea of Galilee was just a single person. No great army, no divine presence, no pregnant woman, no cult. Yet scripture says they responded immediately to Jesus' calling to follow. So what was it? It obviously wasn't logic, it wasn't facts. It wasn't historical knowledge. It was the call, the call to discipleship. In calling the Galilean fishermen to discipleship, Jesus does not ask them to just add one more task to their busy lives. He calls them to a new way of being. When Simon and Andrew leave their nets, they leave a way of life. This is even clearer with James and John, who leave not only their nets, but also their father Zebedee. These disciples leave behind the life that they knew backwards and forwards, a life of work and play and family and community, all the things that made them really who they were. Jesus calls the disciples into a new identity, fishers of people. The scripture reading I just read to you says that Jesus calls them and says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. This makes it sound a little bit like fishing for people is a task. A literal literal translation of the Greek in that sentence reads, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of people. 
Now, there's a big difference there for me between I will make you fish for people and I will make you to become fishers. I will make you fish for appears to give us just one more thing to put on our busy calendar, which is not really what the call is all about. We are not called to schedule something in, like an item to be checked off the to-do list. If we consider I will make you to become fishers, well, that promises a whole new way of life, a whole new identity. This gospel story, the calling of the first disciples to ministry, is an important story to understand and see its relevance for us today because we are all called to ministry. Yes, you are part of an unfolding story. You are called to ministry. Now, some people believe that callings are only for ordained people only, but I promise you God is calling all of us to ministry. Let me explain it. Why did you engage in this worship service this morning? You could have done lots of things. You could have stayed in bed. It's a nice day. The sun's out. You could have gone and played some golf. You could have gone shopping. You could have read the Bible by yourself. Or you could have caught up on some Netflix series that you've been wanting to watch. Or maybe even have coffee with a friend. Those are all decisions you could have made. And we Americans like to make those decisions or think that we make decisions about our lives, that we can control our options. But that kind of mentality flies in the face of today's gospel lesson, for it is a lesson about God's choosing, God's decision, not ours. It's about God's decision to claim a group of ragtag fishermen and tax collectors and to start a movement, to start a revolution that to this day still transforms lives and communities all over the globe. So you don't decide to worship. You were called to worship. You move toward the kingdom of God by being summoned and invited The day that that baptismal water washed over you, just like it did little Carter today, you accepted that invitation. It was a personal invitation for you. The good news is that we all get that invitation. The story of the calling of the first disciples is our story. It's why we're here together at this very moment. Our God, the creator of the universe, the God who shaped the world with a word and created you and me with his breath, has handed over the keys to the kingdom to a bunch of amateurs. Not the experts, not the scholars and the know-it-alls, but the everyday folks like you and me. Not only are we called to do God's work, we're called to be partners in God's mission to the world. Maybe our calling is less about what we do and more about who we are who we are created and called to be by our Creator. God's call isn't simply to do something, but rather to be something. Maybe being actually comes before doing. Maybe being first makes the doing possible. Is that what being summoned so immediately is all about? Is that what the disciples responded to. They felt called to be rather than to do. 
They probably had no idea what it meant to be fishers of people any more than you or I do. They knew that Jesus saw something in them, something of value and worth. They probably had no idea where they would go or what they would do, but they knew and trusted Jesus' calling them to be with him and to be his disciples. As children of God, we too are called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. How we become fishers of people is through our relationship with the one who calls us and one another together. We are called as individuals, but together we form a community of faith that are the hands and feet of Christ to the world. So my friends, as we look to this new year, I encourage all of us to listen to who God is calling us to be. Collectively as a church, to discern what we are called to do as this particular body of Christ. God is calling us to be a place of welcome and acceptance. God is calling us to be a faith community that listens to God's word and proclaims the good news to the poor, the marginalized, and the forgotten. To be those who heal the brokenhearted, feed the hungry, care for the widows and the orphans, and look after our neighbors, and just be kind to one another. When we understand our calling, we more clearly see what God needs us to do. Now, my new friend Harry, he died a few years ago. He died on a fishing trip in South America doing what he loved. Being with people, telling tall tales, and fishing. When I got the news of Harry's passing, I couldn't help but remember fondly our last conversation together. It was at the airport as our little group of people began to break up and take off to their separate ways. Harry pulled me aside and he looked me in the eye and he said, Padre, I wish I'd met you at an earlier stage in my life. It might have made a difference. My prayer for Harry is that it did catch and release. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.